Mark 3, verse 7 to 35. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee to Judea and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumenia, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one who can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and mother. Our passage today has two big chunks. The first chunk is about the crowd that is surrounding Jesus. And then the second chunk is this profound theological explanation of what Jesus is doing with this big crowd. 
Uh, in the second part, it's in the form of what big-brained people call a chiasm. Uh, that is, it, it's this literary device uh, where the, the biblical writers, they would wedge the most important idea of a passage in the middle of like this series of details, the string of ideas. So if you were to look at the second half of the text, you'd see that there's like this mirrored pattern effect going on. It goes from the crowd to Jesus' family to the scribes to then Jesus' uh, speech about binding the strong man and then back out to the scribes and the family and the crowds. So Jesus' speech is right there in the center. So we focus on it. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to look at everything in this text under two main headings in light of this. The first part, Jesus is gathering a people. And the second, how is he gathering a people? By plundering the strong man. We're going to spend more time on the second part than the first. Jesus is gathering a people by plundering the strong man. So part one. Jesus is gathering a people. This is verse 7 to 19 in your text. Look at verse 7. Jesus goes to the seaside, and a huge crowd is with him. People had come from all over Israel, from Tyre, Sidon, even the, the Edomians are there. Who are the Edomians? Uh, the Edomians, they were the descendants of the Edomites. If you know your Old Testament, that you know that those are like historical enemies of the Israelites. So it's pretty neat to see the Edomians coming to, to King Jesus. But they were all there, this crowd, because they wanted something. Verse 8, they'd heard about Jesus' miracles and well, they wanted a miracle too. Verse 10, we see that, that some of them had diseases. They were sick. Verse 11, in, in this crowd wandering, there were some folks who, who were possessed by demons who were up amongst them. And, and, and that's not the most part, dangerous part about this crowd. This crowd is more like a mosh pit than, than just like a peaceful assembly. They're, they're all pushing past one another. They're all rolling over one another to get to Jesus, to get close to Jesus. In fact, they're so forceful that Jesus is afraid that they're going to crush him. So look at what he asked for. He asked for a boat in verse 9. He wants his disciples to have a boat there ready just in case they all just start piling on top of him. If it gets too bad, he can just hop in. Now, maybe it's nothing. But that boat makes me think of what Jesus said at the beginning of this gospel, uh, that, that he would make his disciples fishers of men. It's like he's telling them, look, Behold your catch. Look at this crowd. It's yours. These needy people are the people whom God wanted and is gathering to himself. So uh, if, if you're here this morning and you feel needy, if you just, if you just need, uh, it, if you don't have much to give, that's fine. Look, you're in good company with the rest of us. That's whom Jesus is gathering. Uh, then, look, Jesus goes up on top of a mountain and he brings 12 of his disciples with him. Look at verse 14. He makes them apostles. And then they're supposed to do two things as apostles. Look what it says. He sends them off to preach in verse 15, to cast out demons. To preach and to cast out demons. I want to pause here for a moment and just note that what these crowds came to Jesus hoping to get is not what Jesus is most interested in giving them. They wanted healing. And Jesus heals, yeah. But he wants to teach them and to remove any evil that has grabbed a hold of them. So he points the 12 to go out teaching and exercising demons. So the 12 apostles. 
I love the list of names here. Uh, Simon. Simon, who was so shaky in his commitment, and he's called Peter, the, the solid rock. James and John, uh, those boisterous and ambitious disciples, they're called Boanerges, or Sons of Thunder. Look, I, I don't really know what's behind that name, but it's, it's really cool sounding. Uh, then the bottom of the list, look at, look at verse 19. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus' death seems to always be in the background of these passages, eh? So here are the twelve. Men set apart to look, at, look after the, the well-being of this ragtag crowd gathered at Jesus' feet. Now, when I was first looking at this passage, just the bare details of this passage, I started feeling sorry for Jesus. All these people hounding him, demanding things from him, crowding around him, not giving him any peace. Uh, so, so many people and so many needs that he has to get these 12 guys to come help out. But if we take a step back and we think about this passage in light of the Old Testament, it's clear that Jesus is actively doing something here. He's not passively suffering. He's actively gathering a people. And he's doing it just like Moses did when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt. Think about these parallels. A mixed crowd gathered at the seashore. Moses brought out a mixed crowd from Egypt. Not just Hebrews, but Egyptians and all sorts of other people who were there in Egypt. And likewise, Jesus is here with these Israelites, these Sidonians, these Edomians. God welcomes all of humanity to come and be a special people. Signs and wonders. Moses was at the center of a great spiritual debate or, or battle between God and the demonic forces in Egypt. And, and, and Moses was even there to help mediate the healing of a sister. And likewise, Jesus' miracles show God's same tenacity in rescuing people from evil. Going up a mountain. When Moses went up Mount Sinai, he took with him a group of men that he designated the leaders of Israel, and then he set up 12 pillars on Mount Sinai. And Jesus now sets these 12 men up to care for and represent those souls whom God has gathered around him. So what is Jesus doing? He's gathering the new Israel of God. They probably don't get it yet. But Jesus is molding them like, like a potter molds clay. He, he's got them there to teach them his gospel, their great need for salvation, how he'll accomplish it. I mean, you remember the back at the beginning of Mark, whenever Jesus talked about his teaching, it was a proclamation of what? The gospel of God. That's what he's giving them. Now, it's really common for people to come to church because they want help. They want help with their marriage. They want help raising their kids. They want to instill morals in their children. Uh, they, 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 maybe they're just here to make friends. Maybe that's why you're here. And, and all of that is happy. Jesus is happy to heal. But ultimately, he's interested in rescuing you with the gospel so that you would become the new Israel of God. 
I grew up happily going to church because I thought that was the right thing to do. I went with my parents and then I continued because uh, where I'm from in, in the deep south, if you're a good person, you go to church and that's just, that's what you do. I know it's a little different here in Canada. Uh, but it was only later that Jesus' teaching itself grabbed a hold of my heart and changed everything. See, I found a richness and a joy in knowing Christ. The gospel came alive to me, and there was no going back. He reformed me. He made me new. See, I just wanted to be a good person, but he showed me how good he is, how through his goodness, bad people like me can become God's people. See, that's why your pastors here at Resurrection Church are always about the gospel. We're always preaching the gospel. It's why Paul, whenever he's, he's writing to the Corinthians, he tells them that he decided to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. See, from your perspective, you may be coming here this morning looking for something. But behind the scenes, it's Jesus gathering his people, drawing you in so that you could receive something better than what you could imagine. Jesus is still gathering a people. So that was part one. Jesus is gathering a people. Part two. How is he gathering this people? By plundering the strong man. Jesus is plundering the strong man. He's overpowering the forces of evil. The irony is... This section starts off with people thinking the opposite. Both Jesus' family and the scribes think that evil forces have overpowered Jesus. See, his family is super worried about his behavior. Uh, Look at verse 20. The, The crowd follows Jesus home. They fill up his house. Jesus can't even slip away to eat anything. And, and when his family hears about this, they, they go and try and rescue him from this apparent mess that he's got himself in. Uh, they are not happy about what Jesus is doing. Look at verse 21. They think he's out of his mind. His mother Mary. Mary, who knew that, that Jesus was supposed to be the Savior. Mary, who, who nursed him, who clothed him, who raised him, who delighted over him as he grew up. Even Mary is upset. She's worried that her baby boy is in trouble. People are fighting about him. Some people say that Jesus has a demon. It's clear that, that Jesus is not safe to her. See, some of you parents know this feeling. You've stayed up late into the night because you're worried about your kids. Look, the family bond is important, and, and we're going to return later to, to Mary and Jesus' brothers and sisters. Uh, but, but there's something going on here that we're going to see unfold Because, look, Jesus loves his family deeply. But there's something better than family that we're going to see. There's something better than family, and it involves you and me. So next, the scribes. The scribes accused Jesus of being possessed by a demon. And it must have been a pretty powerful demon, because look at what Jesus is able to do. He's able to cast out all sorts of sicknesses and diseases and devils and whatnot from people. Uh, so so uh, look at verse 22. These scribes say he's possessed by the prince demon, Beelzebul, whoever that is. Uh, and and it's, it's through Beelzebul's power that he's casting out these lesser demons. They think Jesus is possessed. 
possessed by an evil spirit. And it is this idea that, that Jesus gets really upset and gives this speech that we see about binding Satan and blaspheming, blaspheming the spirit. Look, look at the root of, of all Jesus' speech that's to come. Skip down to verse 30. Jesus gives this all. Why? For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And Jesus doesn't like that. Not one bit. So let's get into Jesus' speech. Essentially, Jesus plunders the strong man by the Holy Spirit. His speech begins with him first ripping into their logic. Verse 23, he asks, How can Satan cast out Satan? It doesn't make sense. It would be like a civil war in a kingdom or a family that's killing one another. If the evil spirits of the world were divided against one another, they would not last. Verse 26, uh, Satan is not waging war on himself. That's not what's going on here. That's, it doesn't work. That would not explain all these exorcisms. Therefore, something else must be waging war against Satan. There must be another spiritual force at work in the world. Jesus must have a good spirit, a holy spirit. It's the only logical explanation. And with that in mind, we come to the really exciting bit. Read along at verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Let's dig into this. Jesus is describing his ministry, Jesus, as breaking into a strong man's house, tying him up and taking his stuff. Jesus is saying that Satan himself is, is tied up. He's powerless. He's sniffling and whimpering in the corner, tied to a chair. And Jesus is plundering him, just like the Israelites plundering Egypt. He's leaving with Satan's stuff. Now use your minds here for a second. What is Jesus hauling out of Satan's house? Is it all these signs and wonders, these healings? No, it's more than that. It's what this chapter is about. It, it's people. He's gathering a people by plundering the strong man. The Bible teaches that, that whether we realize it or not, all of us are born in captivity in the house of the devil. But Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, went into that house to get you, to throw you over his shoulder and carry you out. Satan has no hold over those who put their faith in such a Savior. Did you know that Satan's name is not actually a name, it's a title? It's a Hebrew word meaning the accuser, just like in a, in a courtroom sense. He's the one who accuses people of their sin. And Jesus has bound and gagged your accuser. First, by paying the punishment for your sins. 
See, Jesus gave up his life on the cross in order to take all of our sins and, and put it upon himself, thus canceling our legal record of debt to God. And it's all sins, friends, all sins. Please look at verse 28. All sins will be forgiven the children of man in whatever blasphemies they utter. The Holy Spirit has pay, pays this debt we have to God by applying the blood of Jesus to our account. Blood strong enough to cover all of your sins. Think about your sins for a second. Even, even those sins. Satan cannot bring any charge against God's elect because God himself has justified you with his own blood. And that's why Jesus is so jealous for the Holy Spirit. In verse 29, read along. It says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Some Christians, they read this and they, they fear that they somehow broken this commandment. But, but Jesus isn't saying that there's like this one specific way in which a Christian can sin and, and then be forever damned by it. it. Even Peter, you know what Jesus calls Peter one time? He doesn't just call him Peter. He also calls him Satan. Even Peter is forgiven all his sins. So it has to be something else. No, Jesus, Jesus is saying that those who continue to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, the work of God's Spirit, by rejecting Jesus and his work of salvation, it is they who will never have forgiveness. Jesus is warning the scribes of his day, the good people, and everybody else, that if you do not embrace Jesus as your Savior, if you do not embrace the work of the Spirit offered to you, then you will be guilty of what he calls an eternal sin. To be punished eternally in hell. So if you're here today and, and you don't yet believe in Christ, you haven't yet put your trust in him, know that without him, your sins are still on you. And if you are in the courtroom of God, right now you would be sentenced to eternal punishment. This is very serious. Your relationship to Jesus is serious. So please talk with, with me after the service or, or talk to a Christian that you know about this. You desperately need to be rescued. And only Jesus can do it. Let's continue. So not only does Jesus rescue us from the punishment of our sins, but he also rescues us from the captivity to our sin. He, he brings us out of Satan's house and into the household of God, which enables us to do good works. That's how we make sense of, of his strong words about family in the last section. Verse 31, his family, they, they finally show up and the crowd says to Jesus, Jesus, your family's here, they're all outside. Uh, you, sh you should probably go talk to them, your mother seems worried. What's more important than family? Well, in Jesus' culture, family is super important, like way more important than it is to us. And look, Jesus loves his family way more than, than you or I love, love our family. But also some of you, 
Some of you know that you have not had a, a, a good time with family. You've had a really rough time with family. It's time for a new family. Look what Jesus says, verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? And he looks at that needy crowd before him. Here are my mother and my brothers. Those whom Jesus gathers to himself are bonded with him in a way deeper than family. And it is this bond itself which breaks our captivity to sin. The last verse, verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Hear me. Hear me on this one. You don't have to live like you're in Satan's house anymore. You can do God's will. You can fight sin. Some of you feel so weighed down by sins as if you are chained to those sins. But Jesus has broken the chain. You are free. He wants you to live free from sin and to obey God. Not to be saved. He's done that already if you believe in him. When he rescued his people from Egypt uh, in slavery, he didn't do it because they kept his commandments. In fact, they didn't even get the commandments till after they were saved. No, Jesus wants you to experience what a true happy life is like in God's family. And yeah, you'll sin. We will sin till we die. But the same spirit who applies the blood of Jesus to you is the same spirit who wages war in you. He will, he will wage war until the work is done, the scriptures tell us. So do not fear. If, if you trust Jesus, then this spirit is in you and you will be victorious over those sins, child of God. As Paul says to the Galatians, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the deeds, the desires of the flesh. So do you want to experience this freedom? The next time temptation comes upon you, rattling its chains, don't believe it. Call on Jesus. Call on your friends. Call me. Uh, let us remind one another that Jesus has plundered the strong man to rescue you. His mother, his sister, his brother. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you have gathered many souls in this room today. Change us by your teaching. Free us from our sins by your word. And help us to live in courage and boldness as children of God. In the name of our great rescuer, our brother Jesus, we pray. Amen.